Non, c'est ce que je disais. Oui, moi, c'est bâti, c'est de la blague. Après tout, tout est beau. Il n'y a qu'à s'intéresser aux choses et les trouver belles. Time has come. Catherine Bigelow! This and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life. Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? No! I remember quite clearly it was 1946 and I was four years old. My mother took me to see King Vidor's Duel of the Sun. You've got to say, I'm a human being! God damn it! My life has value! Babel, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. I'm a man! Well? Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them, and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. Three artists in the presentation of the Palm d'Or. Adele, Lea, and Abdel, 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 Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh! Oh, I did not know that. Hello and welcome to Filmotomy Podcast. This is episode 68. Um, just three of us today. There's myself, and I'm also joined by what I like to call sort of the film, film stratosphere veterans. Um, I've got Daniel Smith Rousey. Hello. And Paddy Mulholland. Hey. So this is going to be a, this is going to be a great episode, I think. No offence to the other contenders. Um, we're going to be discussing the year that is 1993. Very, very good year. Um, good year for... I'll, I'll run through the awards shortly, but some really good winners, solid films that held up. Um, we had a we had a filmmaker that was the Oscar champ and the box office champ, which probably will never happen again. Um, we're going to discuss the video that you probably all watched by now, the top 50, as voted for by tons and tons of people via Twitter. And that was pretty... It's a pretty solid list, I think. Some disappointing disappointing that some films didn't rate as high as they did. And I think the top sort of four or five was pretty easy to predict. Um, So the box office champ I'm talking about, of course, is Jurassic Park. Um, I'm sure many people... When they want to grow up, when they grow up, want to be a filmmaker, they might sit one day and think, "Wouldn't it be great to win the best picture and be the box office champ as well?" Steven Spielberg, of course, did that with Schindler's List, which won seven Academy Awards, uh, and Jurassic Park, which made a trillion dollars worldwide. <laughs> I think it was just short of a billion, actually, um, or, or whatever it is after a million for the year. <laughs> Highest grossing film of all time. I think it topped his previous film E.T. at the time. So he was he was conquering himself as well. So he really was the main man. We'll we'll start with the Oscars. I think just just quickly. Um, we agree that it was probably one of the more solid representations of film. You know, the last few decades. Would we would we agree on that best based on the winners and the nominees? Oh yeah. Yes, yeah, they actually came up with five very, very strong films that uh, hold up against just about any other film. I mean, you might, you, could, you could make a tiny quibble, but it's not like other years where there's that one or two, one or two best picture nominees where you're like, oh my God, they like that, that horrible film. You don't think that when you're looking at these five. Yeah, and I mean, the one that people often look back at and think, what was that doing there is The Fugitive, but especially, especially given that it got in over um, The Age of Innocence. But, I mean, The Fugitive, much as it may be an easy film to shit on, it was a huge, huge hit. I didn't kill my wife! I don't care! And also, it's a it's a really fine film. It's a it's a really fine thriller. It it's a lot of fun. It's very well crafted, and it, it's it's very enjoyable. And um, you know, I think there's room for that in the best picture five. If that means that a really great film by Martin Scorsese has to take a hit, well, then it has to take a hit. He's Scorsese. He can take it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. 
I I would defend the fugitive. I mean, there I I don't know that there's a better film uh, in that genre. You know, sort of a realistic uh, cat and mouse, you know, cop and suspect kind of film. I mean, it and you know, you care about Richard Kimball. I mean, you know, they they the the character work is well done in that thing. I, I that's a strong film. It falls in with a bunch of other thrillers from the early '90s, around that time, like. Other ones with Harrison Ford or other ones with Andrew Davis. Yeah, true. Things, true. Things like In the Line of Fire and Under Siege and uh-huh. Clear and Present Danger. And yeah. They kind of all blur into one for me, but I agree. It, it really is. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a very, very good film for, for that genre. And just a good film in general. Yeah. I, I remember thinking at the time that it was strange that that was in there. Cause it's not, I think it's cause, not because it wasn't a good film, because it's not the type of film you would see in a top, in a Best Picture 5, but, you know, two years earlier, a thriller did win Best Picture. Uh, right. And won, and won the Big Five as well, so... Uh, it's not really a, thriller that was, big a thriller that was released in February or March, I think, Silence of the Lambs was released, so... Yeah. yeah. Is, let me ask... Look, can I ask these the two of you something? Is The Fugitive the only TV adaptation to get a Best Picture nomination. I, I think it is still, but I could be, you know, we're talking about adaptations of TV, sh- of pre-existing TV shows. Yeah, Sex and the City 2. <laughs> well, how could I have uh, forgotten? No, it, uh, it, it was snubbed, wasn't it? It was snubbed. It, it was snubbed. It, it, not in my mind. <laughs> in my mind. I think you're right. I think it's the, I think it's the only one that uh, that's made that leap. I think because... Um, they made it their own. It wasn't. It wasn't like those Sex and yeah, City that's movies. That's exactly just, right. Just a continuation. You, it, you didn't need a, to. You didn't need to have seen a single episode of The Fugitive to have enjoyed uh, the movie or understand any part of it in any way. Yeah, yeah. it stands on its yeah. own, definitely. Yeah. Um, so some interesting winners. We'll come to the obviously the big ones, but like Nick Park turned up the wrong trousers. Yeah. You know that's that's. Quite a milestone when you look back now. How, how what he's done since, um, and the fun. He has like, he has like four Oscars or something for for those um, Ardman movies. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't was wasn't he once five for five? Like he had never lost in the short cat short animated category for a while, and then I think finally he did. It was incredible. And then he would feature as well eventually. That's true too. Right. It was unbeatable essentially. Like don't ever go against Nick Park was the lesson was the takeaway. But we didn't know that back in '93. We just assumed, oh well, he's just one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I didn't say the foreign language film. Uh, list was, was exceptional that year. I mean, three of those films are like in my right up there for me, the best of the year. Um, Scent of Green Papaya, Wedding Banquet, and Fell on My Concubine. Yeah, uh, but, those are but Bella Pock was the film that won. I think it was considered a bit of a surprise. It, is. it was a bit of a crossover, a crossover hit. You know, it, 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 it was kind of one of those. You know, every year there's there's your token non-English language movie that makes a little more than the rest at the box office. I think it was one of those then. Yeah, uh, you're right. But the, the, you know, the Academy has a, has a history of choosing really, really average foreign language film winners over a really or over stronger slate of nominees. It's not always the best nominees in that category. But I agree. Yeah, three films in there that would have made really fabulous winners. Yeah, yeah, they would have. And I know that Fellow Mark Concubine won elsewhere, the Globes, I think it won in Cannes as well. So, I mean, that was probably, that is probably the most, can I say, most popular um, non-English language film uh, of the year, I would say. <laughs> the Oscars-wise, then, I mean, Bruce Springsteen won as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tom Hanks, same film, Tom Hanks became a dramatic, a dramatic actor. I mean, where does... Um, where does Philadelphia stand for you two? Didn't you have an obligation to tell your employer you had this dreaded, deadly, infectious disease? That's not the point. From the day they hired me to the day I was fired, I served my clients consistently, thoroughly, with absolute excellence. If they hadn't fired me, that's what I'd be doing today. I, w- I want to say, by the way, I loved, uh, Robin, your choice of having the uh, that song, the Neil Young song on half of the montage that you did yeah. for this uh, podcast. I thought that was a terrific choice. 
I love that song. I think it's transcendent. I think the sp- I think it's much better for me than the Springsteen song. The Springsteen song is fine. It's not a bad song. Uh, it's nowhere near one of Springsteen's ten best songs. Whereas the Neil Young is like I. I mean, I can only. I mean, I think that he touches something there that I think is incredible. I. I. Uh, well, I would say my reaction to Philadelphia here. I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll react for Patty and me. Uh, <laughs> um, I th- the thing about, that I always tell my film students about Philadelphia, which I think is really important, is, you know, you, you had, um, you know, uh, Jonathan Jemmy was so taken aback by the criticism uh, from the gay community about Silence of the Lambs, right? He, he thought he was just making a film. He, he, was, he, he yeah. suddenly had all of his gay friends telling him, you screwed up. And so I, he, uh, he said, okay, well, then I'll, I'll, na- I'll make my very next movie, Philadelphia. I'll make a movie that Hollywood would never make if they... If uh, it wasn't for a director coming off a success like The Silence of the Lambs. He basically spent the capital of that film and its Oscar wins on making Philadelphia. And I think when you go back and look at Philadelphia and you see the homophobe that Denzel Washington plays and the effeminate role that Antonio Banderas plays in his breakthrough role, yes, maybe those roles skirt very close to stereotypes. But I also think that said... It's so uh, that film did help remove the stigma. I really, I really, truly believe that. Uh, you know, you saw Tom Hanks being interviewed in the celluloid closet as like, "Look, I'm not scary." When somebody walks into, you know, when Tom Hanks is in a room, it's like uh, you don't think, "Ooh, scary." So it's like I'm not a scary guy. So that's and he said that's why that movie works, and that and I think he's right that that helped people. Um, you know, destigmatize AIDS. You have to remember how stigmatized it was then. Yeah. Um, and so I give, I give Demi a lot of credit. I wish what here's here's my bottom line, and then I'll stop talking. I wish more directors would, after their films are criticized by any marginalized community, would do what Demi did after you know after he got all the blowback because of Silence of the Lambs. I wish more directors would go. Oh, okay. Sorry, I screwed up. Let me see what I can do with my next film to make it up. If only more directors would do that, I would be thrilled. Well, no, you say about, about the the heterosexual actor playing gay to get an Oscar. I mean, we had three of them this year. Uh, <laughs> well, if it's a cliche still now, hasn't you... <laughs> Yeah, you imagine the, the stick that Philadelphia would get now, you know, because everything, oh, wow. is, everything is like in the microscope now. Well, right, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, so Springsteen won, but obviously you said Daniel, the, the Neil Young song was was fantastic. Well, um, in my opinion, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to include that in the video because I think people ex- would expect me to put, you know, the Schindler's List theme or right. Spring, Springsteen. You know, so I thought no, because when I make my videos, I like I like it to be a bit more melancholy. So that was perfect. Yeah, that it was, worked. <laughs> I don't care if you're watching Mrs. Doubtfire clips. There's going to be some sad music um, <laughs> over it. So. Mrs. Doubtfire, let's just quickly talk on comedies. Um, yeah. Two films that perhaps could have been nominated for Best Picture, and whereas um, Mrs. Doubtfire and Groundhog Day. Mm. What, mm, what yeah. do you think about the, this, these exceptional comedies? I mean, when I saw Mrs. Doubtfire, I thought, that, that's going to make a lot of money, and it, and it did. Yeah. I uh, have been watching Mrs. Doubtfire most of my life. Um, and it's, it's by no means a perfect movie. It's... Uh, I, I I hit the children. I just I just don't like children <laughs> in movies most of the time, especially happy middle class American children in Robin Williams. <laughs> it just I just wish they would all just go to the room. Yes. But uh, otherwise, no. It, it it's it's such a funny movie, and it's one of Robin Williams' best performances. And Harvey Farson's there, and the whole thing, and Sally fucking feel. And that it's just it's just a joy, and it's completely ridiculous. I mean, he says this woman is from England. She doesn't have the slightest hint of an English yeah. accent. Oh She's God, I know. I'm but sorry it's, about it's, that. I apologize on behalf of America for that. Oh, I don't. I think it makes the movie better. It, it's it's just it's fantastic. I love Mrs. Doubtfire. I don't love Groundhog Day, but I tolerate it. I'm not the biggest Bill Murray fan. I never really have been, but. Uh, you know, it's fine. It's fine. 
my opinion is, uh, I think it's funny to hear Patty say middle class because I'm sure the people who made Mrs. Doubtfire and marketed it would be would love to hear you consider that a middle class family. That house, in, I mean, uh, I've driven yeah. by it many times in San Francisco. That house today has to cost at least four million dollars, and back then it was at least a million. At le- but it's funny because from a distance it feels like Home Alone and Home Alone Two and Mrs. Doubtfire are about middle-class families. They're not. Um, they're about very, very wealthy white families. Uh, you know, God knows where the money's coming from because we obviously don't see the parents do a lick of work. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, they spin this middle-class fantasy, which I feel like fed into shows like Friends and made it feel like, oh, yeah, anybody can afford to live in the New York law like the ones that uh, Chandler and Rachel are in. I mean, right. Um, I, I'm a fan of Groundhog Day. I think it's great. It wasn't really considered great in 1993. I, I would go back and look at some top ten lists of the Janet Maslins and the uh, the Richard Schickles and the the Stephanie Zacharyks and the people who were making the top ten list there. I doubt yeah. Groundhog Day was on them at the time. I think now we've, you know, because of the benefits of home video and the fact that home video is a medium that rewards multiple viewings, which kind of reinforces the themes of Groundhog Day. Um, I think we now see that there's, there's definitely, you know, Harold Ramis did something pretty great there, in my opinion. Um, but I, I can see why it didn't find its audience back in 93. Well, and also there were so many other great films to compete with. Well, before we talk about Spielberg, we have to mention The Piano as well, which took screenplay and both actress categories at the Oscars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Won, it won, shared the prize in Cannes as well with Farewell My Concubine yeah. and The Pandor. I mean, if it wasn't for Schindler's List, would The Piano have won Best Picture? Yeah, many yeah. many people thought so. They everybody said it was the the runner up. I said, you know, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's almost sad that Spielberg didn't release it like a year later or something, or you know, he didn't feel like he had to get two films out of the same year. Um, but yeah, Piano was. It really met its moment. Uh, people were just loving it. I mean, I I think Piano does hold up. Uh, as a as a very strong film, but it's also an art film and a little weird. And I'm kind of surprised people took to it. Even I'm surprised even the the critical community took to it quite as strongly as they did. But I, but I'm happy they did because it is kind of a weird film in some ways, you know. Um, but I but I like it. I, I mean, no, actually, I love it. I, and I think Jane Campion. I, I want her to make more films like that. Um, it's great, you know. I think um, I think when you look at the trajectory of Jane Campion's career, it makes sense that critics would have loved it because it was it was her big breakthrough. The, right. films, she'd, the films she'd done before then were little films that she made in New Zealand, right. and sweetie, they, yeah. they, and an angel at my table, and they crossed right. over. And the critics liked them, but they didn't really receive much of a wide berth. And then right. she does be with with uh, Holly Hunter and Harvey Keitel and Sam Neill. Right. It's a much bigger, more expensive movie. And it's kind yeah. of, it's kind of oh, the birth of a new author. And it's, it's, it's finally the critics can say, oh, look, someone we, we have championed is making it big. And I think if, had any of her subsequent films arrived at that time, they might have gotten a better reception. I think the portrait of a lady would be better; would have been better received had it not come off the back of the piano, for example, in her yeah, career. It's a but, good point. Um, for uh, the piano is my favorite movie of 1993. Um, oh wow! High praise. I, I adore that movie. I could watch that movie once a month. Uh, it's, wow. It's just wonderful. There's nothing I don't love about it. I love that we had a movie that won three top Oscars that has so much explicit sex and nudity. <laughs> unabashed about it. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's, it's actually celebrating it. It's, it, it, right, it, right. That's its, its own liberation. And from a female perspective, and indeed not always necessarily sexuality that is tied 
into nudity. There's there's a scene where Harvey Keitel's character, because he, because he, you know, it, this is what he takes from Holly Hunter's character in order that she could play the piano that, that's in his cabin. And he gets to touch her, and eventually that turns into more and more sexual encounters between them. But there's a scene where he he crawls under the piano and touches a little hole in her stockings yes, yes, and just touches yes. her skin. Oh, and that's, even, that's such an erotic moment. Yeah, and uh, it's a celebration of sexuality in all its forms for a right, woman who's never right. really experienced that. It, it, it it's, uh, it's such a beautiful movie and also so uh, surprising. I think if you look back, it's hard for me to do that because I wasn't... I was young at the time. I didn't. I didn't know who Holly Hunter was. I didn't see the piano. But Holly Hunter was a comic actress. Right, she was right. Holly Hunter from from Broadcast News. Yeah. Right. All her her characters were light. They were chirpy. They were extremely verbose. Right. You know, that was that was Holly Hunter. She has this such an idiosyncratic voice and such a great way with words, and she can just. Speak Bit these lines of dialogue out like nobody's business. And then she wins her Oscar for playing a character who is mute, who holds all of her emotions inside, who is extremely emotionally repressed. It is a total about face from what she was and still is largely known for. And I it's just it's just incredible work. And I I, I adore that movie. I love it, love it, love it. And the score, the score of Iconic. Oh, it's a great score, yeah. Yeah. It, it's so brilliant. Uh, I, know, I know some of it was based on, on some of the music, which is why it was not, not nominated. Um, yeah. But for me, that's better than John Williams' the score for really? the uh, For me, uh, wow. yeah, it's just incredible. It just goes up and down, and so does the film. It's like, sometimes it's a little bit joyous, and it's a bit cruel, and every single shift of emotion works, just, just like the score does when you listen to it in isolation. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, in, I'm in the Schindler's List camp when it comes to the music, and indeed I think Schindler's List is a brilliant movie, mm. by and large. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's John Williams' best work overall. When I listen to that whole score, just the complexity of it, just how musically rich, how, how informed it is by different musical traditions, and then how it uses those to create its own, its own very distinct sound you you know that score any part of it you could listen to, to 20 seconds and know it's from Schindler's List if you didn't recognize it immediately and, and right. so wonderful right. that, that John Williams is known for these these very uh, clear th- th- these motifs that, that like the Star Wars theme the the uh, Indiana Jones theme the Jaws theme they're, they're, they're short little things but he crafted this beautiful flowing melody and Schindler's list that just kind of keeps going and going and going and going more and more bars until it reaches the end of its phrase. Uh, and so wonderful that he can do all these different things. So I, I, I am in Schindler's list camp in that category, but overall for me, it's the piano. Funny that I've, I've, um, that's two, indeed, not just two, but several great movies up for Best Picture, but also in Best Actress, Holly Hunter beat someone who would have won in just about any other year, Angela Bassett as Tina Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. That's just the performance of performances. It's just astonishing. They don't look anything alike, but you could swear that <laughs> Tina fucking Turner on that screen. It's, uh, it's one of the best uh, imp- impersonations that I've seen uh, in, in, in any movie and such a shame that, that again, these movies are released in different years that both could have won in that category Yeah, that was a terrific uh, performance I think that was that was the movie where Larry Fishburne really became Lawrence Fishburne you know right. and, uh, Well, I think that, that actually might literally be true he might have started changing his billing um, but um, the, in, in general it was um, a as good a biopic, God, uh, I would have preferred that particular music biopic compared to the the uh, big music biopic uh, that became a big Oscar sensation in 2018. But maybe I just won't say that movie's name. Uh, okay, no, let's, let's move on. So let's let's get Spielberg out of the way then. I mean, we've, we've touched on shit. Uh, yeah, you have you have segued there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Schindler's List as one of the you know greatest best picture winners probably. And also, did, did they kind of 
or Spielberg. I don't think this is why it won, but I think it, it was about bloody time. Is it not? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, he well, got nominated and won it. And to give him a Thalberg award, didn't they, in the 80s, because they felt bad? You know, and... After they didn't nominate him for the color purple, the color yeah. Purple. You're right. He'd yeah, been famously so many times. Many times. Yeah, either yeah. by that, that either not being nominated at all, or even when he was nominated, they kind of ignored him. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the color purple is yeah. very strange. I don't know how you explain it, but... That's yeah, a strange character in Oscar history. That. Wins the guild and then just appears, but the film gets a million nominations and wins nothing. And the biggest loser in Oscar history. Uh, yeah. That's a funny one. I, I, think the, it, yeah. Sorry. I think by the time he came out with Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and he had the biggest movie of the year and the most acclaimed movie of the year, there was just no, there were no more excuses. No. It, <laughs> they could not. Do, it was kind of like when Martin Scorsese went for The Departed when it was just like, you cannot say no again. <laughs> there, 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 there's no oh it's not time yet or oh another film was better you know when he won it was just like yeah you know what guys it's just, it's just you have to do it I think that's what it was like with Spielberg in 93 they just couldn't not give it to him right right Absolutely. Well, it, it didn't. It didn't. Didn't hurt that it was that Schindler's List is about the Holocaust. I mean, you know, uh, which is. I mean, because everything Ricky Gervais said in that Kate yes, Lindsay thing is, is yeah. still true, and he wouldn't have made those jokes if it wasn't for Schindler's List. I mean, but but still, still. I mean, it's it's a great film. It holds up. I respect the report. I've been given orders to clear the bundles from the road. So there will be no obstructions to the thoroughfare. Thomas, enjoying the lines, little Polish-looking soldier. <laughs> and yeah, the way it's made, I mean, it's, it's a terrific film. Um, and it is an important film, you know. I, I don't, do you, let me ask you, when you guys watch Schindler's List, do you feel like you're eating spinach? That it's like, it's, you have to watch it, it's sort of like you're being hungry, no. or no? No, I don't think so. No. I yeah, I don't either. It's so well made. It's right. it's actually a really rewarding film to watch. And as right. brutal as it is, it's also it's tolerable in that sense. You, because the brutality feels like it has a purpose right. in the storytelling. It, you know, it, it's it's illuminating something that needs to be illuminated. The, I mean, there there is a part of me that watches it and thinks. Um, I wish this wasn't from the perspective of one of the Nazis. Even if we're saying this Nazi was a good guy, well, he was still a Nazi, so was he really a good guy? So there's that. There, there's that. Um, and then there's... I, I, don't right. much, I don't much like when it really gets Spielbergy. I know everybody talks about the Shar scene. The Shar scene is one thing, but for me, it's, when, it's at the end when they give him that ring that they've made. And then yeah. he's crying as he's getting in the car, and I think... Uh, you know, you, you can you can film that scene, but it doesn't necessarily need to be quite as schmaltzy. It gets a, it gets a little bit Spielbergy there. Yeah, and um, I, I I just think it's out of place. So th those are my two little goals with the movie. But other than that, I think it, it's really extraordinary filmmaking, I, and it's filmmaking level Spielberg really yeah. hasn't done before, and I'm not sure he's done since. And one of the great things he, about um, that he, film is it just it lets you just sit with the characters, even though they're complete. Whether they're sat laughing at someone's expense or, or the, the, yeah. he's, you know, shooting people from his window, just hanging out with, with a woman in the bed, you know. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's almost like he puts you in there and you have to hang out with him for a while. And it's very crucial. And that's one of the things I really love about that film. Part of it is just the editing. I mean, it's massively edited. Um, yeah, Michael Kahn, I think, is the credited editor and he's mostly Spielberg. I forgive the schmaltz when we get to that ring string because everything's been so masterfully edited up until that point that I'm like, ah, uh, you know, I, I, I feel it, you know. I, I, for me, it works, you know. I, I don't know. Yeah. 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 And then he made Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> Which I right. think these are the two that finished top of, of the poll. I think they finished top of two of, of any poll of 93, generally, I think. Um, and for good reason. I mean, it's... It's a completely different film to Shill's List, but I went to the cinema to see it uh, when it first came out, and I, remember, I think I've told this story before, but I remember just being blown away by it, you know, and I came out, walked down a, like a camera.
carriageway and a couple of lorries went past. And for a second, I thought they were T-Rexes. You know, it was, it was that, I was a teenager, I was a young teenager, but it was that impact that I jumped out my skin and I was still kind of, it was still in my bloodstream as I'd left the cinema. And, and you know, films, films don't do that, they, they, mimic, they mimic that. But for him to make that at that time with those effects and Spielberg, he knows how to direct those films. A great yeah, achievement. Right. It, it doesn't make my top ten, I don't think, but I, don't think. I can appreciate for that. I'll just complete, go to the cinema and watch this film. Amazing. Yeah, it's a fun film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just don't care about dinosaurs. <laughs> it's uh, I, uh, those Jurassic Park movies. I'm just like, oh yeah, dinosaurs, great. Um, yeah, I, I I like it. I think I think it's a well-made movie. I I definitely would not put it. Anywhere near my top ten for the year, no. but it's and it's not bad. I think it pales in comparison to Schindler's List as an achievement, and I'm not saying that as a slight against action movies or sci-fi or any kind of genre movies. I love them. I love them, but it's it it's just it's just fine for me. I think it's I think it's very technically well made. Um, you know, it's 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 such a great example of what you can do with the right effects if you just know how to fucking use them like absolutely yeah i feel I, like yeah I, I feel well like the, and he was pioneering re- those effects you should, you yeah. should mention. sorry but go ahead yeah i feel like more recently filmmakers like steven spielberg and others have found themselves able to do anything they want and i think that has perhaps uh, hampered their creativity a little bit you see it, say, with Peter Jackson. You know, he had some restraints on him with those Lord of the Rings movies. He had to be creative, and the effects right, that they right. brought about were incredible. Then the Hobbit movies, he was just given, basically, as much money as he liked to, to do any of the tech he wanted to right. do. And it was horrible. Yeah. Same with, like, say, the Matrix movie, the Wachowskis. They had, you know, the Matrix, a bit of a gamble for, for Warner at the time, but then when it made loads of money, they were given loads more money to make those sequels and they're just not satisfying so list right. no sorry jurassic park i think it's a perfect example of you know those, those effects those are old ass hokey effects today like <laughs> they're, they're nearly three decades old i mean think think of that like we're talking like mid 60s was the same length of time before jurassic park so yeah. think of the change effects then but that movie could come out today and people would say, oh, those effects are pretty fucking good because yeah. they were so well done. Right. And, you know, the story of the the making of Jurassic Park, it's fascinating that Spielberg shot so much on complete faith. He didn't, you know, th- they didn't know how good the dinosaurs would really look in post. Right. You just, th- you know, right. he, you have these stories of uh, Laura Dern and Sam Neill looking at green screens you know just having no idea if the if the the eventual effects would betray them i mean they were going to the same house you know lucas and others had had built up you know they they had seen terminator 2 they said okay well we need we want the t1000 but as a dinosaur and we're going to make that but they didn't it didn't really look that good in the in the pre pre-production and spielberg was a little nervous but he still thought you know let's just shoot it and see what happens it worked out well i think i mean you know they uh and and you know he doesn't sit there making you rely on uh people staring at his great you know he doesn't do the the jason and the argonauts thing where you have to watch uh you know an effect versus another effect for three minutes or something i think that kind of thing can drag on you know like in star wars episode one from 1999 where you have like literally seven minutes of screen time you know consecutive which is just a, which was all bottled in a computer. It's just a robot yeah. fighting other robots. You know, it's like it's not animation. It's not. Yeah. It's not the movie. Yeah, and so I think Spielberg's smart enough not to shoot that way. You know, he he takes his crew to Kauai, and uh, you know, you keep you still feel like you're in Kauai or some island. You know, tropical island the whole time. Um, I think I I will just say very quickly that I think that uh, the secret to Jurassic Park's success. And the reason, I, I do think the effects are part of it, yes. Um, uh, but I think the big secret, and it's the same secret James Cameron uses with movies like Terminator and Titanic, is that he both appeals to technophobia and technophilia, and he both appeals to liberals and conservatives. 
for very different reasons, but they but it all works. So I think it, the Jurassic Park's the same thing. You know, it it appeals to people who like special effects, but it also appeals to people who are like, ha ha, look at what you get when you mess with science. I told you you'd be punished, and that's that works. Yeah. For some conservatives, you know, like, ha-ha, this is what you get. You should have listened to God when he told you in the Bible that there are there is no such thing as dinosaurs. But it also appeals to liberals who are like, we love dinosaurs. They, of course Darwin is right. You know, so, I mean, it, you know, like, and I think that that's, if you're wondering what's the secret of Jurassic Park's appeal, I think that's why people still dig on, you know, Michael Crichton's idea uh, a little bit, you know. Uh, I think that's why it works. But... I, like you guys, I wouldn't put it in my top ten for the year, but, you know, that's fine. You know, I, I see why people love it, yeah. There's no reason. I, don't know. I want to hear a review point. I really do. Yeah, don't you see the danger, uh, John, inherent uh, in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations. Uh, if I may, um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're, that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you, and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well, no? to be, top tens, I mean, I don't know if you've got a top ten, but I'm just going to read off... So a couple of films that were featuring man, and then if you guys want to add anything else that you think belong in your top ten or there or thereabouts. I mean, for me, three colours blue, uh, yeah. Farewell My Concubine, yeah. and um, The Scent of Green Papaya are right up there for yeah. me. Absolutely yeah. perfect films. Um, and then going back to Cannes, we've got um, Far Away So Close, Rimbenders, Oh uh, yeah, I love that. And, and Naked, Mike Lee won a couple as well. Oh. And Naked is a it, it might be my favorite Mike Naked. Lee, uh, yeah. and, it's, and it makes you feel really shitty. But it's so yes. brilliantly written. And David Ulyss, I mean, didn't get an Oscar nomination yeah. for that. It's astonishing. You know, yeah, but... it's great in that. Um, you and Bremner as well, great in that. That's one of my favorite Mike Lee's, and I, 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 I uh, like every single one of Mike Lee's movies. I think they're all, every one of them is good. But yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Mike Lee, and I'm always explaining him to class. I'm always making people watch Topsy Turvy or other films of his that they don't know or Happy Go Lucky or whatever. But I still, but there's something very special to me about Naked. Well, it was Naked was my number two uh, when I when I sent you my top five after Schindler's List. Um, I just I don't know. Yeah, maybe uh, it is about a crazy person, and I can see why. Maybe some people are like, this is, he's a little too crazy for me to even understand, but uh, I don't know. That's, to me, that's a brilliant sort of deconstruction of modern life naked. I, 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 can't, I can't get enough of that film. Yeah, Blue was in my top five as well. I love Farewell, My Concubine. I, I think that's a great film. I don't know what happened to Gong Lee. I, I, uh, boy, that's a great, great film. Uh, I love Blue, too. I, I, for me, Blue is my favorite. Well, uh, let me ask you this, Robin. If you had to pick a favorite of Blue, White, and Red, what's your number one? For me, it's Blue. But well, it's I don't red. know what your... Red is in oh, my, yeah, okay. red is in my like, all-time all right. top ten. But blue... What about Patty? What about for blue you? Blue, blue, White, or Red? Uh, for, for me, it's Blue. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. It's something about Juliet Binoche. She's so great. I don't know. I, I, maybe that's it. Yeah. And Gong, Gong Lee as well. I mean, honestly, Gong Lee doesn't have a lot of dialogue for Well My Conscience. I mean, she does, but there's a lot of scenes where she has to be quiet. So those are yeah. examples of the, both she turns three up, of them. She turns up. I mean, I, I love her in Raising Red Lantern as well, the year before, which was. Yeah. She, she oh, yeah. Was a, she was the lead. I think she was more support in this, but she turns up and yeah. just like tears in her eyes, and it's like. Oh! She, she had a great, like, great couple of years there. She should be the, the, she should be running the jury at Cannes. I don't know why she is. <gasps> yes. Well, they need, they need a woman of color to do that, please, finally. Yes. They yes. never have. Yes. Um, I would love it. Uh, yeah. Her, her, Maggie Chung, she, she would be another well, sure, track. absolutely. Yeah, they would yeah. be great. Patty, what are your, what's in your top five? Um, I'm, well, uh, I already said the piano. Uh, right behind yeah. that is the yeah. is scent of green papaya, which just yeah. makes my heart go all fluttery. Um, 1993 is actually full of movies that are just 
nice and delicate, but they really they really get you where it hurts. Center green papayas like that, Age of Innocence. Yep. Yeah, that's not fun. You just it just makes your heart go all ooh like fluttery. And the the, uh, the remains of the day as well. Another best picture nominee that year. You oh, the, it, the the kind of the, the the feeling, the emotion in that movie that's all kept behind that very English reserve yeah. that that right. expressed better than anyone. I think it. it Almost, or maybe almost anyone in, in cinema history. Those movies I love. Um, I love Robert Altman's Shortcuts. Oh yeah, is, great yeah, movie. That's my other, the other side of the, the the debate. It's kind of brash and loud, but a total delight and feels like it passes in three minutes, not three hours. Um, I I agree. Three Colors Blue. I also love Derek Jarman's Blue. Two Blue movies in one year. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which um, which I want to be able to see on a cinema screen. I've never seen it on a cinema screen. I don't like watching movies like that on a laptop because, or on a TV because there's elsewhere you can look. And I think in a movie like Blue, you really just need to look at the fucking blue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also love uh, Moving Shinji Shinji Somai's Moving. Another really delicate beautiful movie from japan it, um a really wonderful movie about childhood um some really good movies about childhood that year actually i i know i said i didn't like children but you've got <laughs> movie, but you've got the blue kite from china as well lots of great movies from east asia in 1993 adam's family values <laughs> what a fucking movie i'll watch that any day of the week i love that movie that is a that's a fun movie angelica houston was Genius, genius. Is it, better than Adam, is it better than Adam's family? I mean, oh, you have to yes, take either Adam's family yeah. or Adam's family values yeah. to it. I think it is. Why is yeah. it? Why is it? Why? Why is it better? Is um, it better? Uh, well, because on top of all the really great things from the first Adam's family, it adds Joan Cusack and Carol Kane. So, oh, yeah, a hundred percent, I'm there. I mean, Joan Cusack is—I don't know. Was she ever better than she is in that movie? I don't know. And Carol Kane and Angelica Houston. It, it's it's my dream movie. I I can't get enough of it. And the the, the costumes, the fucking costumes. I uh, I live. Um. Yeah. I I I have a, not just a soft spot. I have a very 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 hard spot for that movie. I love it. <laughs> All right. No. You know that's great. I I totally respect that. I I mean the thing is. I was not a kid when that, you know, I, I was a full-grown adult when all these movies came out. So, for me, Adam's Family Values, it's fine. Like, it's not bad. It feels very post-Tim uh, Burton to me, very, like, let's try to make something similar. Um, you know, which I, and I know it's different, but, you know, um, it felt like riding that wave of, of Burton-osity that was happening around Nightmare Before Christmas and after Batman and whatever, and... I actually prefer it to to a lot to most Tim Burton. To, I prefer those Adams Family oh, movies. I think. Well, since then as well. Stuff less seriously. Well, yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Since, since, sure. Well, since this 100%. was. Remember, Burton was like running Hollywood. You know, right at the time. I mean, or almost, or at least Bat- his star was certainly on the rise. Yeah. yeah. He could do whatever he wanted after those Batman movies. Yeah. Well, exa- that's my point. Yeah. But I did. I did think of some movies that I do love from that year, which I just want to just to answer your question. What's Eating Gilbert Grape is a movie that's very dear to my heart. Um, that is not just another Johnny Depp. Uh, Lassie Hallstrom, Leonardo DiCaprio film. That is something very special. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you really should. It's a terrific, fantastic film. I, you know, I have a child with a disability right now. I mean, a very severe disability. And I have to say, DiCaprio, and you know, he's a teenager. Um, he gets so much right in that film. He's astonishing. I mean, I think it was based on that film that he you know, that, that people took him seriously, that people like yeah, Scorsese yeah. said, listen, I know you have more, I know you can do more than just play Jack Dawson. I know that's in you. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, he is astonishing. You know, he really did deserve the best supporting actor. You guys wait here, I'll be right back. Okay. Mama, Mama, let Gilbert handle this. Jerry, come on, please. Please, have a seat outside. Please, you gotta let him. You need to wait your turn, okay? I don't think you guys understand. It's gonna... Look, no one's going to do a thing 
until you go and sit down outside. So I, I know one of my Oscar books points out that the best supporting actor list of, of that year may be the best five that has ever, has ever, best five performance that have ever uh, you know all been nominated at the same time in the same category. It was him, uh, Ray Fiennes and Schindler's List. Tommy Lee Jones won for The Fugitive. John Malkovich in The Line of Fire, who I really think should have almost won. Or you know, It's amazing to me that Malkovich is not an Oscar winner. Um, he's outstanding in that. And, and he does everything that Anthony Hopkins yeah, yeah. did in, uh, for me as Hannibal Lecter, but in a more political way, which I love. And then the, the, the one I'm calling the fifth one, but this is another movie that I also want to mention how much I love. Uh, in the name of the father, Pete Postlethwaite. That's a terrific film. It's political. It's about the troubles. It's about a lot of things. Um, it's it's a fantastic. I mean, as prison films go, that's a fascinating. Pete Postlethwaite and Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, if you haven't seen that and you're listening to this podcast, please find a way to watch In the Name of the Father. You will not be sorry you did. That's I think a fantastic film. I also want to mention Fearless, the Jeff Bridges film. I think that's a great... You know, it's weird. If, fear, if a movie... It took us this long to get to Fearless. If Fearless had come out in 20... If Fearless had come out in 2018, I mean, that's better than almost all of the Best Picture nominees with the possible exceptions of, like, Roma, The Favorite, and maybe one other. I mean, come on, Fearless? Fearless is terrific. No, it's, it's an outstanding film. Check, check out the review on the site. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Well, your review on the site. That's right. Everybody go to the site, read the review, and I'm sure they got it right uh, <laughs> without even reading it. I know. But yeah, that's I'm, an outstanding film. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm always appalled by how people overlook Peter Weir, but yeah. to yeah. my mind, he's, just, he's never made a bad movie. Even the movies that nobody watched, like yep. The Way Back, uh, yep. you know, the they're good movies. They're, and even Master and Commander, Jesus, fuck, that movie looked boring as hell. And then I watched it, and I thought, I really like this movie about all these <laughs> old heterosexual white men and fuck knows yeah. when. Like, yeah. these are like 600 BC, I don't know. But it's a good... He, he's great. He, he just, he knows how to make a movie. He fucking knows how to make a movie. Uh, yeah, he, he gets overlooked a lot. If I can just mention one last film and then I'm done. I, the, the one I voted for in my tweet that I haven't mentioned so far is The Wedding Banquet. And I know, Robin, you did briefly mention the name. I do, by the way, I, I stand by everything I said about Philadelphia. The Wedding Banquet was not a mainstream film. It was not seen by a lot of people. It didn't get a very wide release. Um, but, you know, it was about something that, you know, it, was, it broke so many taboos at the time, you know, showing this interracial, uh, inter-continental, uh, you know, or, you know, these people are from different parts of the world, you know, and they're, and they're, and they're two gay lovers, and they're hooking up, and there's this wedding, this, Chinese, this traditional Chinese wedding happening in New York. I mean, I, I think Ang Lee is probably my favorite filmmaker. I mean, he's certainly up there. He's one, when, when people ask me, oh, who's your favorite director, Daniel? I, I usually say Ang Lee, um, and he certainly acquits himself well with the wedding banquet. There's there's you don't you know that's that's a very fine film I think, but okay they're they're now I'm done with my favorites. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm just going to mention a couple a couple of categories I'd say like films about children, uh, or children's films of things like Hocus Pocus, um, <laughs> Searching for Bobby, yeah. for Bobby Fisher. I'm surprised Daniel. Oh you know, wait, I'm sorry. I did. Sorry, one. you know what? I did vote. I voted for that on my. On my I'm sorry. Yes, I do love Searching for Bobby Fisher. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Uh, and, uh, the Sandlot. The Sandlot was is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, my my, my yeah, six-year-old yeah. watched it and, and she absolutely loves it. You know, it's like yeah. You know, also from that year, The Secret Garden. Yes. Yeah. Another movie. I mean, um, beautiful scores. Big Neff Prizner who did the the Three Colors music for Krzysztof Kieślowski. Um, Production designed by Stuart Craig, who did all the Harry Potter movies and Dangerous yeah, Liaisons, yeah. and and also Roger Deakins did the cinematography in that, and it has one of my all-time favorite Roger Deakins shots, the opening shot in that movie. If all you watch in The Secret Garden is the first minute, yeah. you see the best bit, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, yeah. There's one. Heck yeah. Um, a lot of kind of fun moves. Uh, some aged well, some didn't. Um... Cliffhanger, Demolition Man. Um, <laughs> but I think the, the, my favourites of this type of film would be like, Falling Down, True Romance, 
you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're really good films that I, I would watch now. Um, and obviously Bob, Bob De Niro made his, his directorial debut as well, yeah. which was a very, very decent film. You can see oh, yeah. experience into that, and he made a, he made a kind of Martin Scorsese film. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it was very yeah. accomplished. Oh, yeah. And I found um, a lot of really beautiful movies. I said, I, I mentioned a lot of, like, very delicate movies earlier, like Age of Innocence and Scent of Green Papaya, um, but such gorgeous movies that you're like those two, and um, Pharaoh and My Concubine, and Derek Jarman didn't just have Blue out that year, he also had Wittgenstein, and I know it's a movie of 1992, but it got Oscar nominations in 93, Sally Potter's Orlando, gorgeous, fabulous movie, it's uh, Three Colors Blue is a beautiful movie. The Piano is a beautiful movie. Peter Greenaway is the baby of Macon. It's not one of his best, but I mean, just to look at that movie is is outrageous. You could watch that movie on mute. It's gorgeous. So, yeah. so and some really stunning movies released uh, in 1993. If you think what we've covered, and we're still we're still reeling them, reeling them off. You know. I know, right? We still haven't even mentioned uh, so many. I mean, we we what did we just we. You just briefly touched on um, some of the right. biggest movies of the year. Just just skirted past them. True romance, shit. We're gonna get some flack from from the <laughs> internet. If we don't discuss romance. We haven't even mentioned Sleepless in Seattle. Fuck. Oh God, we, we, we peaked too soon. We should have started with maybe like eighty nine and, and then gone to to ninety. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tombstone. Some people love Tombstone, Tombstone yeah. you know? Some people think that's some kind of great film. I, you, you hear Carlito's Way we haven't discussed yet. That's uh, Coyote Cinema's favorite movie of the 90s. You're kidding me. Really? That's wow, Coyote Cinema's favorite movie of the 90s. Oh, I, and I, for, I, I, forgot my, I forgot one more that I did tweet to Robin about. I'm sorry, The Joy Luck Club. Has, have you guys seen the Joy Luck Club? Because yeah. I love yeah, the film. I've seen it, yeah. That's yeah. a terrific film. Amy Tan's novels brought to life. It's it's wonderful. I, that's and that's. I mean, if you care about like women and not, them not being represented, you know, it's time to go back and see the Joy Luck Club. I and mean, come on, and yeah. we we heard when Crazy Rich Asians came out. Oh, this is the first all Asian cast in tw- Asian American cast, or roughly in twenty five years. And that they're they're going back to the Joy Luck Club. So do yourself yeah. a favor. Get, uh, Wayne Wang is a filmmaking genius, and you need you know that it's worth going back to for sure. That movie. Um, yeah. It was poetic justice. I don't know. There were yeah. You were mentioning yeah. the pulp films like Indecent Proposal, um, <laughs> cool, cool Runnings, <laughs> Grumpy Old Men. I don't know. Free Will. <laughs> but I, I, I like. I would defend the firm. I, I think the firm. It was yeah, a fun film. But you know that was an era of movie star led. I mean, it's weird to think yeah. you could just put Tom Cruise's face and expect people to show up. But that's how things were. They were built around stars. And I give Tom Cruise credit for, you know, choosing to make those John Grisham, you know, and a lot of people made these John Grisham films, but they're pretty good as films. They're, you know, they're relatively progressive in many ways for for movies about the South. Um, You know, the person who opposes the rednecks tends to be the good guy. Um, And, you know, like, I, I, I like those films. I think the firm is a little bit of a deconstruction of corporate power. I mean, in its own way, it works, you know. Uh, I think it's it, those films were good, and um, it's weird to think that that was the time of stars and little indies, and we're not in that era anymore. We don't have stars in the same way, and we don't have indies in the same way, and it's sort of sad. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Are, movies are sold on on basically any other kind of pre-existing material. You know, yeah. is it based on a comic book? That's is it right. a sequel? Can it sell toys? Is it tied into this? Is it tied into that? Right. They didn't Un- hear Funny the way you say you just put Tom Cruise's move- face in the poster and people turn up to a movie called The Firm. Imagine anybody going to see a movie called The Firm today. <laughs> right. no. be a it wouldn't movie, bother. Right. A less promising title than The Firm. Yeah. Like, right. really. So, yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, but I agree. That's, that's, that's not a bad movie. I'd put that up there with Carlito's Way. Eat that, Sightens or Coyote Cinema. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just... Mr. Lomax will see you now. Mr. McDear, yes. I practically went to law school with you. Ray talked about you every stinking day for three years. I was his cellmate, he must have told you. Did yes. he tell you, by the way, it was statutory rape? She was 17, looked 25. I got one to four. 
Sit down. Hey. Sit down. Come on. Look. Sit down. Sit down. You want some sweet and low? You want some dairy cream? No. You want some sugar? I, you want some... Hey, I'm, I just... I've got some business. I, good, I have to go. Good, good, good. I owe your brother my life. I'm leaving. Thank you, dear. That's my secretary. She is terrific. She's got a nutcase for a husband. He's a truck driver. He moved here to be close to Graceland. Reason why, he thinks it's Elvis. What do you think his name is? It's Elvis. Elvis yeah, I... Aaron Hemphill. I run across some strange things in this job. Some things that would never spray paint on an overpass. Now, what can I do for you? Well, what they did, I mean, here's the way they... The, I feel like I want to speak to this for just a second, the way that movies were made back then. So you had, like, the ten biggest stars in Hollywood, and they just basically would would put the ten biggest budgets with those ten biggest stars. Right. Now, I'm not saying it was always such a, a great thing. I mean, if, if you need an example of that, so they what they did was they... Who are the ten biggest stars of 1993? Well, they were Tom Cruise, so they, the, so they made the firm. Michael Douglas, Falling Down, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Last Action Hero, Sylvester Stallone, uh, Cliffhanger. They would just, they would, but the thing is, the star almost came first in a, in a weird way. You know, Julia Roberts, the Pelican Brief. They just said, okay, what can we get these people to do? And they don't do that anymore. The, the, that is, that kind of filmmaking, that kind of Hollywood's gone. And I'm not necessarily saying that they all, that the results were always so great in the old way. It's just, we should notice that that's gone, that, that we can no longer just have, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. may be the biggest star, I don't know, is he? But if he tries to do anything outside of Iron Man, it, you know, or maybe Sherlock Holmes, it doesn't go very well, you know, so it's like, that, that's not the same thing, you know, they, these days, as you guys know, it's, it's driven by pre-existing intellectual property and what we can sell and what we can market. Um, and the movies I made, I mean, they weren't even necessarily planning to have sequels to any of them. I don't think, yeah. I don't think they, uh, the ones I just listed, I don't think there were sequels to any of them. Um, wow. Um, I'm just going to finish on a sad note and a happy note. I mean, um, Olivia Cook was born in 93. Oh, okay. She's yeah, doing okay. Well. She's doing very well. Uh, and Adele uh, Exacopoulos, um, the French actor with a Greek name, who was in th um, Blue is the Warmest Colour. So, you know, that's how old we feel now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the, World. You know, significantly more, so I'd say, some of the people that we lost. Um, mm. I just pulled a few off. Lillian Gish, um, yeah. Audrey Hepburn, Vincent yeah. Price... Uh, ah. Don Amici and a great filmmaker Federico Fellini. We lost, we lost them all. Um, and thus the last two, River Phoenix and Brandon Lee. You know, two yeah. young River Phoenix more so. Well, how far would they have gone? Oh, uh, right. River Phoenix, I think, is the one. Oh, I mean, yeah, that, like that's Heath, so sad. Heath Ledger type, you know. That is so sad. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I still think about that when I see how Keen Phoenix has kind of become. You know, more or less the most respected actor of his generation, I would say, Joaquin Phoenix kind of is, or he's yeah. pretty much up there. And I think, wow, what if we had two of them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I like, before we finish, I like that you mentioned the Silence of the Lambs, Unforgiven, and, and this, this year the Schindler's List won, and then when the independents, you know, really like started making, you know, Pulp Fiction, and the, the Academy went back to traditional Best Picture winners. You know, um, right. it's sad, but you know, you go back and we, we talk about Fargo. You know, we don't talk about the English Patient, which which I think is a great film, and we don't talk about Forrest Gump, which I don't think is a great film. Yes. but you know, I agree. All, all taste, but you can see the 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 way they went back to that for for well, I would say till the till the end of the century, I would say. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. The Academy kind of goes through these little phases. I think it went through a mini phase in the early 90s of of um, picking these, these really good movies. Um, Sons of the Lambs, Unforgiven, and Schindler's List. You said just all really signed movies. Even if they're not your favorite movie of those best picture lineups, most people would, would be able to agree that they at least earned those top awards. Um, and still hold up to there. I watched Unforgiven the other day. It's it's such a great movie. Um, but yeah, Hollywood goes through the, those little kind of moments, uh, and the Oscars create or reflect or sometimes do both with those moments. Um, it's inter it's interesting in, to look back and be able to identify those moments because you don't always know you're in them when when you're there. You know.
If you don't tell me you 